I don't know where my dad got it from. <laughs> but I am glad for a name like that. For many years, I, I shied away from that name. And I went with a short version, Gus. Then I found out that that was a, kind of went with bus. Gus the bus. And I think that one of the worst experiences that I had is that I had a friend of mine. And his mom had a dog named Gus. And that's not the end of the story. Is that every time I went to go visit him, he wanted to go take him for a walk. And I told him, you know, don't do that, please. I'm going to feel awkward. You're calling the dog Gus, and then you're calling me Gus, you know? <laughs> but anyway, that is, uh, that is a lesson to that. Amen? I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Now let me start by reading those verses. Some places they said uh, uh, they say that say amen when you got there, when you get there. Amen, amen. And it goes like this: verse eleven. It says, "Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians." Our hearts is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affection. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children. Open wide to us also. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership? Have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an, uh, with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what, it's, what is unclean. And I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me. Says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7 verse 1. Therefore having these promises beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We thank you God. We thank you, God, that we could look to your word for guidance. We thank you, God, that we could we could go to the dwell to the well of your word and drink. And to know that when we drink, we we shall thirst no more. That we could come to your word, God, the bread of life, and know, God, that we will hunger no more. Thank you, God. For your satisfying person. Amen. Okay, honey. Uh, we don't want to come up for the doxology. <laughs> I mean. Bless. Bless my pastor. When he gave me. Uh, a few. Uh, selections of what. What. I, what he wanted me to minister on, he decided to use these verses. And when I see him, when I seen it, I said, oh, thank you, Pastor. And the reason why I say that is, what a mouthful. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was 
preparing this, this message and I could not even get from the first 11 and 12. Because look at the breadth of it. I mean, I was like, I would to written a whole book, these verses. But nevertheless, I will make an attempt, okay? So please bear with me. And I would encourage you guys to open your heart. I want us to look into Paul's affection for the church in Corinthians. And, it's, and if you have not noticed that yet, you will see in those verses. How has it affected him in the church of Corinth? And I believe that the best way to enter into the heart of Paul in dealing with the church in Corinth is by reading into the words he wrote in this letter to the church in Corinth. If you, there's, we're going to read those verses right now, but if you just see the emotion that he's putting behind this letter or behind these verses, it seems to me that the church in Corinth was his favorite one. To me, it seems like it. Because look at what it says. It says, it says in, in verse 11, it says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you. Our mouth has spoken freely to you. In other translations, it uses the word frankly. In other translations, it uses the word, the word openly. And in some translations, it starts with O Corinthians. And after the word Corinthians, it uses the word exclamation, which the definition of that word is outcry, noisy talk, and clamor. I mean, if you, like I said, if you just try to read between the words of Paul, it says, our mouth has spoken freely to you. I mean, have you ever been in situations where you have not pulled back in speaking to someone in that manner? And it was not just one individual that Paul was talking to, but it was a whole church. It was the whole community of believers in Corinthians. Are we not able to eavesdrop on Paul's outcry, noisy talk, and clamor? It says in verse 11, to repeat, it says, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. It is open wide. I mean, if I think about those verses, because sometimes I wonder, and I don't wonder, but I, I see how he went about in writing this. It seems to me that Paul was open all the way to the church in Corinthians. He was not holding back. And it relates to me to how sometimes we have learned to deal with people in that manner where we have been so open with them. And we have opened our hearts wide and we have not availed to nothing. And here in verse number 12, it says, you are not restrained by us. You, you are not restrained by us. But you are restrained in your own affection. And let me uh, point this out. Uh, our heart is the most vulnerable member in us as a person. But also it is from our heart that the issues of life come forth. I mean, here is Paul being exposed. And if you allow me to say naked, not physically, of course, 
to the church in Corinthians. I mean, he was, he was being vulnerable by him, by him writing and sharing and preaching and teaching to the church in Corinthians. I mean, he had opened his heart wide to them. And then, of course, it says, are you able to relate to Paul? Have you ever spoken freely to someone? Have you opened your heart wide to someone before? The question, the answer would be probably yes, we have. And I think about that, and we look at now to Jesus. Do you think Jesus opened his heart wide to us? Did he? Did he hold back and spoke freely to those that were with him at those times? He just spoke freely. I mean, we look at Jesus and we see that same characteristic being displayed in him. Then you know how it feels and how much that person or persons mean to you when you open your heart freely to them. Let me, uh, then, and it says, you at that moment are giving yourself completely. In this case, of course, we see how, and I, and I like this portion of the scripture because uh, there is a word that, that I believe that, that means a lot. Uh, and if we just pay attention to, to what it says, and it is the word affection. I mean, that word carries a lot. And the reason why I say that is because uh, this is the reason why I say that. It says, it says, okay, it says, the word of fiction, here lies the cause of an unconverted heart. In the word affection, we are people that are driven by our affection, what affects us, or what is, what is pulling us to what affects us. What do you mean by affection? Well, what do I mean by that? It's the influence. The influence of what we're being affected by. The sway to be drawn to one side. The impress, impress to fix deep, to complete, to seize. And also to the sentiment. Properly a thought or prompt by passion or feeling. In this case, of course, Paul dealing with the church in Corinthians. And as we continue through the verses, we're going to see what was it that the church in Corinthians was being affected by. And also, too, in verse number 13, it says, Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. I mean, do, would you admit that it would be nice for some people to become children again? And, and the reason why I say that, because in this verse, it seems to me that Paul wants the church in Corinth to be more like children. And the reason why he says that is because it seems to me that as you are a children or when children are, they're more receptive. They're more open. And in this case, the church of Corinthians had closed their hearts to the teachings of Paul. And obviously, as we know already, they were heading in the wrong direction. So Paul is making, Paul is making an appeal. I mean, you could just feel the emotions, the affections that Paul is going through by the beginning of, the, of that verse. Our mouth has spoken to you freely. O Corinthians, our heart is open wide. You know, it speaks much about Paul, but also too, have you ever spoken to somebody that is stubborn? Have you ever spoken to somebody that is close-minded? Have you ever spoken to somebody that his heart is not open to the gospel? 
It is the same situation that is taking place here. That's why Paul is asking them, if anything, beseeching them, if anything, begging them to, for them to open their hearts wide as he has opened his heart wide to them, as he has spoken freely to them. And then, of course, you, as we read in verse number 12, 12, it says, you are not restrained by us. It is us that has not hold you back. We're not the one keeping you. Paul said, we're not the one keeping you from opening your heart. It is you yourself because of your affections that is keeping you from opening your heart. So the key is, what was it that the Corinthian church was being affected by? And of course, we know the definition of affection. It means sentiments. It has to do with feelings. It has to do with being swayed, persuaded. It has something to do to being uh, influenced by somebody. And it is the same thing that we are dealing with many people today in our time and age. And it is that same reason that I say here lies the cause of the unconverted heart. It is in their affection. There are things that are, there are things that are affecting them. There are things that they are being affected by, whether it's another person. I mean, we could go down the list of things. But the question is, in this case, Paul is dealing with a church. Paul is dealing with a community of believers that has, at this moment, been affected by something that is not Christ. I mean, it should be Christ that brings the, that is drawing us to him. But in this case, and, 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 and and if you follow the line of the verses, you will see because it seems to me that Paul goes from one extreme to another extreme. And you wonder, what is Paul, you know, and you will, we're going to read those verses. Why is Paul bringing out this or these? And you'll see this in verse number um, 14 and on. But obviously there was something that was, that was, Affecting the church in Corinthians for him to first and more, first and foremost, to speak freely to them, and second, to open his heart wide to them and share what he wanted to share with them. Even to the point where he says, Now, in like exchange, I speak to children. In other words, I want you to be as children. Though we understand that for Paul, Paul was the spiritual father in this church. But I think that Paul using the word children speaks more than just in the case of them being their spiritual sons. And I mentioned one already. It seems to me that when, it seems to me that when Kids, it seems to me that kids are a little bit more receptive, receptive than us as adults. Seems like when we get old, we get a little bit too, um, our heart gets a little bit too, too um, not wanting to reason about even the gospel. I mean, you could share the gospel to a, a, a children and he will accept it like that. And he will, but you share with an adult Share with somebody that claims to know everything, you will not go past, uh, you know, past his hard heart. So Paul is appealing to them, appealing to their children' nature, and being receptive in what Paul is trying to communicate with them, because Paul obviously has. Witness that they were heading in the wrong direction. They had on their Christian walk. They had picked up certain habits. That were going to lead them to destruction. 
So Paul is, I mean, Paul is going all out. Going all out for the church in Corinth. Speaking freely, not holding back in his words. Not holding his emotions. But sharing his bare heart to the church in Corinthians. And then we go to verse number 12 and we see the beginning of what he's trying to say. And you could read through these words and understand that there was something wrong going on in the church of Corinth. They were being affected not by Christ, but by the world. Something was pulling them. And it wasn't Christ pulling them. That's why Paul had to speak frankly. That's why Paul had to speak freely. That's why Paul had to open, bear his heart to them. I mean, we could all relate to that, can we? How we, we have gotten into conversations with people like that, especially our spouses, our children, our friends, our relatives, where the discussion has gotten heated up And we have been open and given all that we, I mean, sometimes we have gone out of those conversations and wondered that person did not get, if that person did not accept Jesus, there's no hope for those persons. But this is what's going on with Paul. Paul is dealing with a church that is obviously in the wrong direction. That their affections are not affections that are towards Christ. But those same affections are what putting a, a wall between God and them. So Paul is calling them to, to open their eyes. Be like children. Be receptive to what I'm saying. I have not opened wide your heart. Stop closing your heart to, to me or to God. In this case, of course, it's Paul. In verse number 12, it says, You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Then in verse 14, it says, Do not, here it goes. Here it starts. Here it begins. Look at the, the, the extreme extremities. You know, where he goes, you know, he calls it for what it is. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back because these are men and women that God spent time and, time and talent preaching the gospel. And as Paul, as Pastor has been sharing concerning, I mean, we've been learning a lot from through Pastor, haven't we? I mean, I love what the way Pastor teaches and how he connects the dots. We get a bigger picture of who was the church in Corinth. Then we look at verse number 14. It says, do not be bound together with an unbeliever. Other translations uses the word unequally yoked. I mean, he's calling it for what it is. Do not be bound. Do not be bound. Do not be unequally yoked. And we understand uh, that translation as far as what yoke means. Yoke is a something that is put in on oxen to keep them um, equally in, in step. Uh, and without that, other one does more work than the other one. Or they're not able to. In this case, he's talking about us as believers. It says, do not be bound together with an unbeliever. I mean, how? How? How easy is that to understand? It doesn't take much to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. To figure out that an unbeliever is heading in the wrong direction than you are. It's not heading in the same direction. 
I mean, to think that, that, that the unbeliever has the same priorities as we do would be wrong. And it says here, you are, it says here, do not be bound together with the unbeliever. And look at what Paul says. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Is there some type of uh, partnership between what's right and wrong? I mean, we live in the world where they are trying to twist things around, where they call good bad and bad good, and they're forcing their way. And in that same process, they are confusing the people and they are stringing people along. And many are believers. There are churches at this time when they are, 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 are changing their doctrine all under the banner of, let me see if I could pronounce this word, excludes, exclusiveness. Where the word of God calls it for what it is. And that's what Paul was saying here. What partnership have righteousness with lawlessness? And look at what it says. Do you, do you, could, are you able to read between the lines of what Paul is written? I mean, he's calling things for what, I mean, he's challenging the church of Corinthians straight up. Says, or what fellowship has light with darkness? I mean, where do you see the, 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 the combination with light and darkness? I mean, the Bible teaches us that Jesus came to destroy the works of what? Darkness. Jesus said that light has come into the world. And what? And men what? And men reject the light. Why? Because their evils, their deeds are evil. Seems to me that men like, and women of course, like relaxing in the shade. And the only reason why they do that is because they don't want to come to the light. Because if they come to the light, their deeds are exposed. And they are left with some decisions to make. Whether they're going to live in the light or they're going to continue in the darkness. And also too, the Bible speaks about how the deeds that are done in darkness that you can't even you could, of course, but they're shameful as you speak of them. I mean, they're that bad. You know, that the things or the deeds that people do in darkness, you're like, oh, man. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. It says, and what fellowship has light with darkness? You tell me. What does? I mean, he's asking this question to the church in Corinthians. And it's a question mark. Answer that one for me. I mean, try to, try to. Try to come out with an answer to that. I mean, he's getting, he's, he's, he is pushing them. He is getting them to think. Think. As believers, think. What fellowship has light with darkness? I mean, really, what, wait, where's there, where's there the, you know, where could we see the, oh, I understand. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I see. I see how they could be combined. There's no such things. Jesus abides in the light. Jesus is the light. Jesus is what illuminates us. It is because of the light of Jesus that we are able to see things for what they really are. That's what stands the church and makes it a beacon on top of the mountain. Remember what Jesus said be, concerning being the light? You know, and not putting it under a, uh, under, you know, 
but put it in and out so that wet so that it would shine. And look at what it says in verse number 15. Oh, what harmony has Christ with Belial? Is there, I mean, are we able to harmonize? Is there such thing as harmonizing with, with Christ and demons? I mean, are they friends? Or, 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 or as some religions speak about them being brothers, Lucifer and, and, and Jesus, somewhere else, before time they were twin brothers related. That's the, the lie of, it's a lie. No such thing as that. Until sin is bitter, Jesus will not be sweet. Here, until sin is bitter, Jesus will not be sweet. And look at what verse 16 it says. So, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Have they come? Has the idols in the temple of God has come into some type of agreement? As they shook hands, you know, and, and, and proclaimed alliance with each other? I mean, Paul's, Paul is calling people to the carpet. He's, he's calling it for what it is. He's telling the church of Corinth it's okay. I mean, is he... It, It's Paul holding back? Doesn't seem like it. I mean, these are, I mean, just imagine if somebody would come here and preach or minister this to us, directly to us. I mean, we would be in trouble. We, in other words, we would in trouble in the sense where we have missed it. We have failed. And here is Paul telling the church of Corinthians this. This truth, you know, this, look at, once again, look at what it, what it says. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And look at what it says. For we are the temple of the living God. We are the temple of the living God. We are where God resides in us. There is no room for idols. There's only one. Tr there's only one room for one person, and that is God. And then, of course, in that end of that, not in the end of the verse, but in the middle of the verse, it says, "Just as God said." And then we go to what I like the way Paul puts it. He goes. Straight to what God says. It says, I will, I will dwell in them. I will dwell in them. Speak, this, is, this is something that God has said. And this is something that I believe that we should take to heart. Because God said, I will dwell in them. I mean, just to think about how God has said that He will dwell in us. How many of us have really ever take that in consideration? That God, the creator of heaven and earth, lives in us lives in us. I will dwell in them and look at, and I will walk among them. Every time we, every time we go where we go, guess who's, we're not alone. Guess who's alongside of us? God. I mean, this is the blessing This is, the, this is the revelation that Paul is trying to convey to the church in Corinthians. That this God that he preaches dwells in them. Do not forget, Corinthians. 
Don't forget, church, that I dwell in you. And not only do I dwell in you, but I walk among you. I am in your midst. And I, you know, and I definitely believe that if we take that seriously, we are more careful in where we go, what do we do, what do we think. And I will be their God. And this is something that, of course, that God has said. He will be our God. I mean, we have one God. and We have a God who we serve. We're not just, you know, people that just don't have a God. We have a God. And we have the living God. It says, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. I like this. You know why I like this? Because many of us in the past... We'll consider ourselves to be nobody. You know, we just, you know, now we're somebody. Now we belong to someone. And here it teaches us that we are his people. We are God's people. We are not just anybody. The church is God's church. We are his people. And being that we are his people... We have a, a mission. There's a reason why we are His people. And as His people, we must stand and rise and be who He called us to be. And it is then and there that we as being His people, we will let His light shine so that others may come and hear and listen and come. And I like what He says. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall be my people. We are God's people. We are His. We belong to Him. We have an owner. We belong to someone. We're not just out there just living life with no uh, concern. We have some someone to answer to sooner or later if we think that the day that we die and we stand before God and, and everything's going to be good and sweet and everything no we're going to give an answer the Bible teaches us that we're going to give an answer to what we say and the things we do and knowing that we need to be careful in the way we live and also to knowing that we are God's people, we need to understand that we, there's a purpose. There's a purpose for us being God's people. And there's much more to say concerning that in Scripture. We are, uh, we are a nation, you know. And look at what it says in verse 17. Therefore, come out from the mist. And this is, of course, Paul talking to the church in Corinthians, but it could honestly apply to us now and to us now. Calling for us to come out from the mist and be separated. Be separated, says the Lord. You know, I one time, uh, one time I went to this gathering and and. Uh, and this is nothing to do with, with, you know, not trying to. I went to this gathering. There was people that were drinking, and, and I don't got nothing against that or nothing like that. But, but after everything was said and done, I guess they had some kind of a Bible study, and and a lot of those were, that were there were were Christians. And like I said, I don't got nothing against that. Or, but at first I wondered, you know, at first I, at first I thought there were non-believers, I mean, they were drinking like, but after I said, okay, uh, these, these are Christians, I guess, I mean, and the reason why I say that is because there has to be something that, that, that stems out of us being different. And Paul here says, therefore, come out from the mist. Obviously, the church in Corinthians were intertwining or hanging around with with the wrong crowd that you were not they were not he was not able to 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 distinguish 
Who's the believer and who's not the believer? It says, therefore, come out from the mist and be separated. Separate yourself. And obviously that also speaks concerning the church. You know, the definition of what the church is, is the called out ones. You know, God called us out, says the Lord. And look at what it says here. It says, and do not touch what is unclean. Do not touch what is unclean. We could define that as in a literal sense. Or we could just keep it spiritual, I guess. But definitely it, it speaks to us. What do we consider to be clean and what do we consider to be unclean? Whatever it is, Paul is telling the church in Corinthians that do not touch what is unclean. You know, and I know that in past verses, Paul spoke concerning the foods that they were eating and all that. But I, I, I believe that it goes beyond that. I, believe that. I believe that it takes us one step further in the life that we should li live. That we are not to touch something that is unclean. We should not touch those conversations that we know there are unclean. Why get involved in it? Why participate in stuff like that? If we know and we see that it's an unclean conversation, or it can even go as far as even dealing with, with people that, that, that are not willing to change and they're just immoral. You know, they're just immoral and not rejecting God and Jesus to the fullest. And as Jesus said concerning, do not cast your pearls, pearls before swine. You could go as far as that and do not touch what is unclean. In other words, don't even go there. And then do not touch what is unclean. And now and I will welcome you. And God will welcome you. Verse 18, it says, and I will be a father to you. And I will be a father to you. How many of us, brothers and sisters, are in a place in life where we need a father, a spiritual father? A father that we could go to on a daily basis and know that he's not busy and know that he will not reject you. How many of us do we desire to hear him speak to us as a father how many of us are we able or know that there's sometimes we know we want the love of a father that we could hear his voice whether you're seeking approval or whether you're seeking counsel or were you just seeking an answered prayer hear the Bible says, I will be a father to you. This is a promise to us that God ultimately is our father. And how many of us agree that if there is somebody that cares much more for us, is a father. I mean, it, we can all relate to us when uh, obviously, maybe not all of us, but the majority of us to our earthly fathers. How our fathers took care of us. And gave us all the things that we needed. Well, this is our heavenly father. How much more, the Bible says, will, will our heavenly father do for us if we come to him? It is a, a promise that we could take to the bank. It is something that we could hold on and know that our Father really loves us. And I like what it says, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Proclaiming to us 
that we are his children individually and as a church. To me, it brings such satisfying feelings to know that I have a father, that I could go to him daily, that I could go to him and pray and know that he hears me and he answers our prayer. He does answer our prayer. I have been witnessing his answering our prayers. I have seen how he answers our prayers daily. If there is somebody that, 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 that responds to our prayers, it is God and he does it immediately. Immediately. Sometimes we are gone before his presence and maybe even forget the prayer request. But if you really think about it and pay attention when you do pray and stay in that, you will see how he will answer your prayer. Prove him. Prove him. Prove God. And go to him in prayer, in sincere prayer. And see that he will answer your prayer. He might not answer it the way you think he's going to answer it. But he answers prayer. He answers prayer daily. And me and my wife have been witnessing that. And we have gotten into the habit of talking to one another and, and reminding each other that when he does answer prayer, let me know or, or vice versa so that we could go back like the man that or those two gentlemen that had um, that had that what's that skin um, leprosy and thank Jesus and Jesus even said where are the rest didn't I heal ten and only two have come back and thank me so we need to be careful with that. That when we come to our Heavenly Father, we don't treat him, treat him like a stranger. We treat him like a Father that truly cares and that is truly attentive to our prayers. And then in the end of verse 18, it says, says the Lord, and let me read it in context. It says, and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And then, of course, to finish up, I, I love this verse here. It says, therefore, having these promises. I mean, these are promises to us, to his children, to his people, to the Corinthian church. These are promises by God. Not by any other human being. No, this is God, our creator of heaven and earth. This is almighty God. This is the God that, that created. This is the all-powerful God. There's, God does not, is surprised by, by nothing. God knows the beginning to the end. God knows the destiny of your life. This is God, our creator. This is the one that is rooting for us. This is the one that has gone before us. If God is before us, who could be against us? This is the one that is interceding for us. You know, it brings just joy. It brings much joy to know that Jesus prays for us. I mean, in comparison to us, we sometimes lack. I mean, our prayers sometimes don't extend more than 15, 20 minutes. But the the Bible teaches us that it's forever interceding for us. If there is somebody that is praying for us, guess what? It is Jesus. It's Jesus himself that is before us, praying for us, rooting for us, encouraging us, knowing that I got your back. Continue. We are in the winning team. We are in the winning team. Not the world, not the government, not climate change. 
God is the creator of heaven and earth. Sorry, I don't believe that baloney. God is the creator. And he has said it already in his word. He has spoken the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and Omega. This is God, brothers and sisters, promising to us. How many of us have been promised something and that promise has been broken? All of us have gone through that experience. But this is God. God doesn't break promises, brothers and sisters. God doesn't break promises. God doesn't break promises. You pray. You continue to pray for your children. You continue to pray for your neighbor. You continue to do what you're doing. Sooner or later, you will reap if you don't grow weary. What you sow is what you reap. Look at what it says. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, understanding these promises that God has already said it, let us cleanse ourselves. It's like taking a shower after a long day of work. God is asking us to, you know, sometimes sin and, and and uh, and uh, energy that sometimes we get from other people, it attaches us to things on. You know, you bring it home, you know. The attitude that sometimes your co-workers exercise. Gotta learn how not to, you know, it's like what it says in the Bible, uh, laying aside all the sin that so easily entangles us. There's certain sins that it's easy to want to trip us down. We gotta learn, we gotta watch our step, brothers and sisters. Where we are out in the world, we gotta be careful how we're stepping. Because there is sin that is so easily ready to entangle us, tangle, untangle us. It says, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. All defilement. Our defilement is what makes, you know, uncleanness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You know, you look at that, it says, therefore having these promises, you know, God has given us such promises, brothers and sisters, but he's also... Requiring something from us. Asking for us to do our part. God has provided everything for us already. In Jesus Christ. But he's asking us for us to cleanse ourselves. You know, to do away with certain things. In this case, it was the church in Corinthians. Because obviously, Paul had noticed something on the church in Corinthians that they had... They were being swayed, you know, they were being led in a so Paul had to remind them as we look at the scripture that is reminding us now. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting, perfecting holiness, perfecting holiness. I mean, if we're not able to, if we think that we're not able to perfect, and I'm not speaking about a, a being sinless. No, I'm not speaking about that. I'm speaking about being separated. I'm, think, I'm speaking about being consecrated to do His will. I'm, think, I'm, I'm speaking about uh, desiring to, to be perfect in Christ, being complete in Him. From all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I mean, let me end with that, brothers and sisters. Having the fear of God is healthy. 
Having the fear of God is good. Having the fear of God will scare you of doing things that you shouldn't be doing. You know, sometimes we try to water down the fear of God. No, it means the fear of God. I'm not going to try to say, oh, no, well, you know what I think it's, uh, what it's trying to say is that uh, reverence. Yeah, it's saying that too. But it's speaking about fear of God. But if you don't fear God, if you don't fear God, then you have a problem. You have an issue. If you, if you don't fear God in doing certain things, I'm going to give you 10 feet. And I'm going to stay a little distance from you. Because somebody's getting ready to be sapped. Maybe not now, but in the future. The, the, the key is, brothers and sisters, that God wants them. You know, if fear is going to keep you from doing certain things, then so be it. Amen. So be it. I'd rather have the fear of God than not have the fear of God. And go about thinking that I'm all that in a bag of chips. Do you understand that? Sometimes we, you know, we need to be careful because sometimes we think that, you know, we got it all together. We're saved. You know, we're, we're, we're destined for heaven. Yeah, probably. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah, your salvation. That's, that's uh, salvation faith. But I'm talking about enduring faith. I'm talking about we live by faith, not by sight. That is the living faith. I'm talking about faith that we placed on him on a daily basis. I'm talking about that faith that we wake up every day and we say, okay, today's this day, I'm going to start with praising the Lord, reading his word, spending some time with him. And on the long, on the day of, of your, on the day of your day, being conscious of who you are in Christ and being open to his spirit, sensitive to his spirit, to his guiding. You know, being, being alert into what the Spirit is trying to speak to you. And in this case, of course, having the fear of God. I mean, the fear of God, brothers and sisters, would stop you from doing. And not only stop you, but even thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking. If you really think about it. I mean, we got to learn how to discern those thoughts. Because if we're not careful, those thoughts will take us... That's what was happening with the Church of Corinthians. They were being affected. Their affection, you know, was, was swaying them to all sorts of things. So Paul had to speak to them strong in order for them to realize, to wake up church. And I know that we're not there in that place in this church because... I see it that we are all men and women that they love God and want to serve Him. So thank God for that. But we need to be careful because there's churches like that right now. You know, that they think everything's okay and, and, and under the banner of love. And that they're twisting the scriptures. So we need to be careful. And only, only one of the ways that we could stand against that is that we have the fear of God. They know then we know that God is a what? A consuming fire. And that our salvation is to be what? Live by what is it, trembling? Uh, uh, you know, in, in Philippians it speaks like that. You know, the salvation that God has given us, brothers and sisters, is precious. I mean, think about your formal life. I mean, I think about mine. And I said, oh, no, I, I would have been dead. I would have been in prison. I would have been out in, in the, living the homes, home, home, uh, homeless lifestyle. But thank God that Jesus set me free. And that's why I, I hold my salvation of, of great importance. Because I don't want to go back. And not only that, brothers and sisters, that there's much more to do. There's others that we want to reach out to, especially our kids, our relatives. You know, we had the pleasure of me and my wife uh, yesterday of dealing with a young man that uh, 
was open. You know, his heart was open and was able to share his, his, uh, his, what he's dealing with. And you know, that is a blessing, brothers and sisters. And I think this is something that what Paul was talking to the church of Corinthians, that he was hoping, I mean, he had opened his wide, he had, he had been speaking to them frankly, and his heart was wide open. Now he was asking the Corinthian church to do the same. And the same thing, of course, as I was saying with that, is that uh, yesterday we had the privilege of, of, uh, of praying for this young man. Of praying for this young man, and, 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 and it doesn't end there because we're going to continue to pray. And, and we will uh, see uh, the salvation of him. And I'm not one to, to name it and claim it. No, I'm not one to say that. But definitely, I know the God that I serve. And I know that God is much powerful than any human being. And if we entrust what we're going to entrust to him, the Bible says that he hears our prayers. He is attentive to our prayers. And he answers our prayers. So what Paul is trying to tell the church in Corinthians, brothers and sisters, is that wake up. Wake up. You're heading in the wrong direction. There's much more to. There's much more to your Christianity. They were lost. They were bound. They were on their way to. So Paul had to, like I said, speak freely and don't hold back. But we're able to learn from these verses because we're able to apply those on our lives too and know that 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 you know God has called us, you know, we're you know, brothers and sisters, enough end with this, okay? Uh, we're living, if you're, not, if you're not aware, we're living in dangerous times. If you're not, uh, and I know you are, but just for the sake of, of, of uh, sharing what I'm, if you're not aware of it, we're living in dangerous times. And a lot, a lot is, a lot is riding on us. As Christians, you know, we, we have the torch as the first generation church had the torch and passed it down to the next generation. We have the torch. It, we're holding the torch now. If we don't hold on to that torch and pass it down to our next generation, I'm not saying that there's never going to be a remnant. There's always going to be a remnant. There's always going to be people that are going to love God that no matter what are not going to bend. But this goes beyond we're speaking about our kids, brothers and sisters, our families, those that we love. It is important that we grab onto that torch and we pass it down to the next generation. And the only way we're going to be able to do this is that if we, as his sons and daughters, take Christianity seriously and live for him the way he's called us to live, and we'll be able to pass that torch and, uh, you know, it's, I don't know the future. We don't know the future. But it's, it's, it's very important, brothers and sisters. Amen? Amen. Let us bow our heads and end and with a word of prayer. Oh, and then after that, my wife is going to join me. And we're going to say the doxology. Okay? We just thank you, God. And we thank you, God, that... That you're able to speak not only to the church of Corinthians, but you're able to speak to us now, God. And that's what we want. We want to be able to hear your voice, God. And not only hear it, as James said, but, but also to listen to it and do it, God. We thank you, God, that, that your word has been spoken not necessarily by me, but by your word, God. It is your word that stands above any opinion, any attitude, anything, God. And that is that that is what we need to take home. And not so much our physical home, but more our homes as who we are as people. We thank you, God, today, God. And we ask that you would bless our time, bless uh Every one of us here, God, and as we, as we all go our separate ways, God, just, just 
be with us all, God. We thank you and and, and we, we just, we love you, Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.